but let's, let's just remind ourselves where we are, because these lessons in and of themselves have, have no value in and of themselves. Prayer is a journey into the heart of God. Unless you're making that journey personally, unless we're making that journey corporately as a church, then the, the, these lessons become irrelevant. They, they are not a formula. They're not a system by which we can follow. They're not, they're not a set of tools. If only we can apply the right tools, then we will get the right results. Relationships are never like that. And the relationship with God is not like that. He does not want you to become proficient at using the tools of prayer. He wants your heart. He wants your heart. And if you use the tools of prayer, expecting therefore somehow to manipulate God's heart, you will, like me, so often end up disappointed because he wants your heart. He'd rather say no to your prayer if he gets your heart. So by my reckoning, if we give him our hearts anyway, he's more likely to say yes. Because he wants our hearts. Unless if we get that out of the way first, then maybe all of these other things that we strive so much with will fall into place. So we spent four or five weeks, however many it was, at the beginning of the year, thinking about this journey into God's heart, only by grace, only possible because of Jesus. It's the longing of our hearts. And God might be over here, and we might be over here, and for as long as we treat prayer as something we're shouting at God, uh, to God over there, that, that, then it'll, it'll be sad for us, and just as sad, sadder for God. So he wants our hearts. But as we're journeying towards him, as we're saying we hear, we hear from heaven that there is a God who wants us to call him Father. As we've heard from heaven that there is a God who wants us to know what it means to be his child, his son, his daughter, pressured, pressured and loved and honoured as the Bible says. Once we're on that journey deeper and deeper into the heart of God, then the Bible would say these things are important as you learn to pray. These things are important. And so we're looking at different things that are important. Last time we, we talked about uh, what it means to pray in the name of Jesus. That prayer is not about us trying to get God to do what we want, but prayer is allowing God to do what he wants. And we can rest, we can relax with that, because as we allow God to do what he wants, that is the best for us. We know it in our heads, and sometimes it's hard to believe in our hearts. He wants the best for us. And now then, this morning, we pick up this second uh, lesson of prayer as we're walking into God's heart. And the more closer we get, the, 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 the more our eyes are wide open to see him. And the more we see him, the greater this will be true in our lives. And that's faith. And that's faith. Without faith, the Bible says in Hebrews, it's impossible to please God. Which is a bit of a worry, don't you think? Because I've tried to please God by coming to church. Have you ever done that? Have you ever wondered how pleased God must be that you made it? Have you tried to please God by, by being good and kind? Have you tried to please God by uh, saying your prayers? Do you feel good when you get through the whole 15 minutes and you're still awake? And so there's this drivenness in us to try and please him. And as we saw in the journey into his heart, we can't. We can't. Even my best bits are like filthy rags. And yours too. So we can't. What pleases God is a heart that says, 
I trust you. I trust you. I still have one son young enough to leap off the top step on the stairs into my arms, four or five stairs down. There'll come a day when either he'll say no or we'll both end up at the bottom. It's just a question of time. Sadly, as he's got older, or perhaps more intelligently, he's begun to question his ability or my ability to catch him. He's wise in that regard. How sad, though, when we grow up as Christians, we question God's ability to take care of our lives. How are we going to please him? We're going to trust him. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. So it's not surprising then that we find Jesus going on about it all of the time. In fact, every moment there was a release of God's power, every time a bit of heaven came to earth, and that's what we're called to pray, your kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven. Every time there was a glimpse of that, almost, Jesus makes reference to faith. So you get the woman who had tried everything in order to find her healing. For 12 years, she'd exhausted all the opportunities. She tried everything that was earthly, and still she wasn't healed. And then she reached out and she touched him. And he said, your faith has healed you. Was Jesus saying that her wishful thinking had healed her? Was Jesus saying that it was her positive attitude? If only you believe in it enough, it will happen. No. The Bible says quite clearly when Jesus touched, when, when she touched him, power left him. Who healed her? Jesus. But Jesus wants to make the connection that a bit of heaven came to earth. Why? Because someone somewhere exercised faith. Someone somewhere said, I've tried trusting everything else, but in this moment, with nothing else to lose, I'm going to push through this crowd, even though I'm unclean, even though if I get caught and found out, I'll be ostracized. I'm going to push through this crowd, and I'm going to touch him. I'm going to trust him. In that moment, when we say, I can't do anything else, but I'm going to trust him, a little bit of heaven breaks out on earth. And we see it over and over again. When Jesus healed a blind man who cried out for mercy, he touched their eyes and said, according to your faith, it will be done for you. When the friends took the paralytic and they climbed up on the roof and opened a hole in the roof and lowered him down, what did Jesus say? Or what does Mark records that Jesus expressed? When Jesus saw their faith. When someone somewhere exercises faith, when someone somewhere says, I'm not going to trust all this anymore. All this earthly stuff that seems so solid, seems so secure, is nothing to the Father in heaven who knows me and loves me. In this moment, I'm going to trust him because I've come to the end of myself. That's the moment when heaven breaks into earth, when we learn to trust him. And so it could go on. He said the same to the lepers and time and time again. And and the worst of it was the tragedy. The tragedy at uh, Nazareth. That's where Jesus was from. And uh, uh, Matthew talks about it like this. When Jesus had finished these parables, he moved on from there. Coming to his hometown, he began teaching the people in their synagogue. And they were amazed. Where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers, they asked? Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't, this mo- Sorry, isn't his mother, mother's name Mary? And aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon and Judas? Aren't all his sisters with us? 
Where then did this man get all of these things? And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to him, to them, only in his hometown is a prophet without honor. And then this stunning verse. He did not do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. So Jesus, who could do anything, comes to his own people and he can't do what he wants to do. It's an image, a metaphor, a cameo, whatever language you choose, that's been repeated over and over and over. Jesus comes to his church and he cannot do what he wants to do. How was the heart of God that day? And you and I will have found more faith outside of the church sometimes than inside. Maybe. And so this terrible, damning verse that without faith you can't please God, without faith you stop God doing what He wants to do, without faith heaven stays in heaven and earth stays, well, just as it is. It's quite an awesome thing. So not surprising, when Jesus starts teaching on prayer, he puts it like this. If you believe, you'll receive whatever you ask for in prayer. It's about belief in what you're praying for. It's about asking within your faith limit. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you've received it and it will be yours. The trouble is, in prayer, I often find myself more fully conscious of my unbelief than of my belief. And you maybe do too. Yes, we believe... Yeah. And yes, we believe that God can do anything. And yes, we believe that God can answer any prayer that we pray. But do I believe that God will answer this prayer that I am praying now in the way that I expect Him to? I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure. And my lack of faith is exposed. And I realize I haven't got close enough to the Father's heart. I realize my eyes aren't wide open enough to see Him. I realize that my heartbeat isn't next to His enough for me to trust Him. To know that when I pray what's on His heart, He will do what He says He will do. Faith and prayer. So where does all this faith come from? And what uh, am I going to do about it? What... Can I invite all of us to do about it? Well, faith is a gift. It's a gift from God, and we all have it. Do not think of yourself, said Paul to the Romans, uh, more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. A better translation might be, or a richer translation, God has given the measure of faith to every man. So what do I do with this measure of faith that sometimes, in my own experience, feels so small that it's overwhelmed by my lack of faith? My belief is there, but but it's so lost in all the things I cannot believe God for. Well, that's because I've got to nurture it. My faith needs nurturing. My faith needs encouraging. And Jesus was consistently saying to the disciples, uh, um, uh, more than anything, he got cross with them, if cross be the right word, frustrated at their lack of faith. It wasn't that their doctrine was skew-if, it was their lack of faith that seemed to bug Jesus the most. If they didn't learn to trust him, where would they end up? 
And so at the end of it all, Jesus was found saying to them, especially when they couldn't drive out that demon that we looked at a few weeks ago, because you've got so little faith. But then this wonderful thing, I tell you the truth, I'm saying something really important, I tell you the truth, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Little faith, that's me, little faith, that's me. Faith as small as a mustard, I've got that, you've got that, I've seen it in all of you. You've got faith like that, it's not that you haven't got any faith, you've got it. And we see it from time to time. You see it hopefully in me from time to time. There might be a lot of unbelief, a a lot of lack of faith around, but we've all got faith like that, haven't we? Somebody, somebody must, somebody else must feel that in their best moments they've got faith as small as a mustard seed. That would be really encouraging for a preacher. Can you understand that? You know, that would really sort of feel like we were tracking together. So... Suddenly, he speaks to my situation. Suddenly, Jesus says, you're right to get stressed about your lack of faith, but remember this, faith as small, as, really, that's small, really, really small, a mustard seed, small, that's the faith, that's where it begins. Whoa, Jesus is suddenly speaking to me. He's suddenly addressing my situation. Suddenly, it's like he understands the struggle I have. So, What does it mean, faith as small as a mustard seed? Well, maybe it it means this, that that a little bit of faith can go an awful long way because if if a little bit of faith like that can move a mountain, well, I'd be quite pleased with that for first base. Not many of us have moved mountains. Not in Suffolk, anyway. (laughs) We climbed a mountain. Mountains are amazing. Have you ever seen a mountain? They're fantastic mountains. Last Sunday morning, we were up a mountain. I thought, why don't I do this every Sunday morning? No, just a joke. Lost, I know. So, a little bit goes an awful long way. So how do I get my little bit of mustard seed faith to go an awful long way? That's what I, because I've got it. I've got that little bit. I've seen it. In my best days, I've seen that much faith in me. How do I get that to go a long way? Well, maybe it starts with believing that a little bit of faith is where it all starts. And maybe secondly, what does it, what does it mean? It, it means that a little bit of faith needs to grow. See, a little bit of mustard seed doesn't stay a little mustard seed. That's the whole point. That might be where it begins, and that is where I'm beginning, but that does not need to define where I stay. Though it's the smallest of all your seeds, yet when it grows, it's the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and perch in its branches. It becomes a a tree so big that it brings other people in. Wouldn't you like to have faith that's so bright and so shining that people around you are brought in? We'd love that. How'd you get to that? Little, little mustard seed. Who's got that? We've all got that not so bad after all. Faith may start very small, but in God's purpose it grows. So, so how do we cause it to grow? Well, just a couple of things about how we cause it to grow. How do we nurture it? How do we treasure it? And, and this is not part of what I thought to say, but it, it, it strikes me that, that maybe the first thing for all of us is just to value the bit of faith that we've got. You know, most of the time when we talk about our faith, and we don't talk about it very much because we're very good private English people, 
But occasionally when we do dare to talk about something to do with our faith and our hearts, people usually express the amount of faith they haven't got. So 99 times of 100, people say about what they can't believe. Well, how about treasuring the bit that you can believe? God's given me faith. It is as small as a mustard seed, but Jesus knows that, and he talked about it. Because a seed, uh, a faith that small, can grow really big in God's purpose. Suddenly my ears are open, my eyes wide open, I'm awake. I need to know and understand. Well, from that story that Margaret read to us from Peter in the boat, we know the story, don't we? It's very familiar to us that they're in the boat, there's a storm, Jesus comes walking on the water, and, uh, uh, and when uh, Peter goes, is that you? And, and Jesus goes, yes. And then Jesus says, Peter says, can I walk? And, and Jesus says, yeah, sure, out you get. And Peter gets out of the boat. Uh, and that's what happened. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. Now, that's not bad for a learner, is it? He was a learner, a disciple. He's just learning, and he does that. That's, that's a good start. Then, when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. So, where was he looking before he saw the wind and the waves? Jesus. He'd had conversation with Jesus. He'd made eye contact with Jesus. He said, is that you? Jesus said, yes. He recognizes Jesus. He's looking at Jesus. He's hearing from Jesus. Jesus says, come. So he goes. That's all you need in life. That's what Jesus said. He looks at God, hears from God, and he does it. Jesus never weighed anything else up. He never took a survey. He never analyzed the situation. He looked at his father. He said, what? His father said this, and Jesus did it. And here again, we see a learner mimicking what Jesus had modeled. He looks at Jesus. Jesus says, come. Peter goes, probably before he'd engaged his brain, sure, I'm off. And for a moment, for a moment, he was allowing his faith to drive the moment. He was allowing his faith, maybe still as small as a mustard seed, to take that central place. But then he did a foolish thing that we would all have been tempted to do. He looked at the wind and the waves. There is one thing that's absolutely certain. If you look at the wind and the waves, you'll sink. You've proved that, haven't you? I've proved that. If you look at the wind and the waves, you'll always sink. You'll always sink. That's why... That's why this lesson, so he's looking at Jesus, he walks, and why the Hebrews write, write to the Hebrews, fix, fix your eyes, please, on Jesus. He's the beginning, the end, the writer, the perfecter, the, the finisher, the starter, the completer of your faith. He's the one, the only one, that can keep your mustard seed size faith central and focused so that you can allow a mustard seed size of faith to move a mountain. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the beginning and the end. And, and we see that over and over in the Bible, over and over. The 12 spies go out. You know, back in the Old Testament, they're, they're about to enter the promised land, the land that God's promised them. 12 spies go in and they come back and they go, you're right, the land is brilliant. This land that God's providing for us is the best thing since sliced bread. Flowing with milk and honey. But 
There are giants in the land, we'll never do it. Cities are fortified, we'll never do it. The people are huge, they'll overrun us, we'll never do it. Caleb and his mate said, ah, but God's giving us the land. Never mind, we'll never do it. That mistake cost them how many years? Hello? 40 years. Now that's a long time, isn't it? Even for me, that's a long time. Imagine being outside God's best for me for 40 years. Because God said you can do it, and I go, I can't. God said, take the land, we can't. God said, go on, we won't. 40 years. They wander around the wilderness because they didn't have the faith to listen. They weren't looking at the God who could make it possible. And so these stories go on. And Paul would say, uh, uh, wouldn't he, that, that, that if you fix your eyes on Jesus to lift your gaze, Lift your gaze away from earthly things to heavenly things. This verse from Colossians, Colossians 3. You've been raised with Christ, therefore, where are you going to set your gaze? Where are you going to put your focus? Set your heart on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind not on earthly things, not on on things above, uh, not on earthly things. David and Goliath. How tall was Goliath? Nine feet tall. That's tall by my standards. Might be normal for you. That's a big chap. Israelites, every single day, who are they thinking about? What do they say, the Israelites, every morning? Goliath. We're stuffed. Big chap Goliath over there, he's shouting at us, we're scared, we're stuffed. If you looked at the wind and the waves, you'll sink. If you look at Goliath, you've already lost. David breezes in as a breath of fresh air. David only knows one thing. He knows that if you trust God, you can even defeat a lion. That's all he knows. And every time David speaks in those, you can read it in 1 Samuel 17, every time David speaks, he talks about God. Every time everybody else speaks, they talk about Goliath. There's only one person that slayed Goliath in the name of the Lord, and that was David. See, where are you Where are you looking? Where are you looking? And you have to see how it, how it all maps in together with the way Jesus taught us to pray. He said, when you pray, pray our Father in heaven. What, what are you, where's your gaze? Where are you looking when you pray? Where, where are you focused when you pray? To the Father who fills, literally, who fills the heavens and the earth. Fix your gaze and let your faith grow. And then secondly, faith comes from one small step at a time. Jesus said, come. What did Peter have to do? Peter did not have to work it all out theologically. He did not have to reach a a new level of spiritual maturity. He had to make one step. It was the one step out of the... That's all. That's all. I mean, a big step, maybe, but a small step in some respects. Because in our Christian lives, we kind of go, I've got to get this right, and 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 then maybe. And Jesus just goes, sure, come, step out. Oh, can I do that? Yeah, sure, come. Come, just faith, just look at me, just, just step out. Start from where you are and take that one small step. And that's what he did. And that's what happened 40 years later. 
So for 40 years, they wander around the wilderness because they failed to listen to what God had said and to act upon it. And 40 years later, there's another opportunity or another potential opportunity for them to make the same mistake. They wander around the desert for 40 years. They're about to go into the promised land for the second time. Tell the priest, says God, who carried the Ark of the Covenant, when you reach the edge of the Jordan waters, go and stand in the river. Step into it. Why? Well, there's a promise. If they do that, as soon as the priest who carried the Ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. Now you have to remember, they'd forgotten about the crossing of the Red Sea in terms of their own experience. That generation of people had died. It was just a story. They had not experienced it for themselves. So they, for the first time, had to step into the river. That's all they had to do. They'd take the land if they stepped into the river. And they've got this choice. What what are they going to do in that moment? Are they going to step into the river or or are they going to allow their unbelief to overwhelm them? They stepped into the river. And the amazing thing is that the water stopped, just like God said. And what happened to their faith that day? It rose. Like, like, woo! Like, rose or, or what? And that's it. That's it. Their faith rose. So what are we going to do to get our faith to rise? I want to invite you to think about the things that you're praying for. Think about the things you want God to do in your life. I want to invite you to, to, to take one small step with that little bit of mustard seed faith. So you take a step, not that you can't believe God for, but you take a little step for what you can believe God for. So imagine this scenario. And I've used this before this kind of story before and, 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 and gladly use it again because it speaks uh, to me as much as to you. you. You're praying for your, as many of us are, okay? You're praying for your neighbor, your non-Christian neighbor. doesn't matter whether it's a work neighbor or a house neighbor, what, whatever it is. And that's a good prayer, isn't it? You know, wow, what a, what a prayer. So, so, so that, you know, what a prayer to pray that your neighbor would come to know Christ. What a prayer that your neighbor would be saved from judgment, would be saved from hell. What a prayer that your, your neighbor would know life and purpose here on earth and live in heaven forever. What a prayer. Okay, so, so let's not stop that prayer. That's a good prayer. You long for them to discover what you know for yourself. And then this verse that Jesus says, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you've received it and it will be yours. Yours. Mm. So, you're praying for your non-Christian neighbor. Do you actually believe that your non-Christian neighbor will come to faith? You'd like them to, him, her. It would be great if they would. But in the cold light of day, what are the odds? Really? And how long have you been praying for them anyway? Well, in the cold light of day, your neighbor's never been to church. Your neighbor has never mentioned God as far as you know. In fact, you hardly talk to your neighbor, come to think about it. At least not about something that actually matters, not about the heart. And thinking about it a bit more, you're not even sure if your neighbor's absolutely certain that you're a Christian. 
Although maybe the Sunday morning thing gives it away. And then you remember you did hear them talking once, mockingly about someone who had faith. And So in the cold light of day, maybe the likelihood of your neighbour becoming a Christian in your own estimation is, is a bit like me winning the Olympic ski jump. <laughs> you know, it might happen eventually, but it's not going to happen this year. But you're praying faithfully for it. And we've all been there, I'm not knocking that, we've all been praying faithfully for something we don't actually believe will happen. There, put my cards on the table. And listening to you talk in conversation, uh, I hear echoes in my own spirit about those kind of prayers. Year in, year out, we're faithfully praying, but we're not really sure we actually believe it. And to be honest, after all those years of praying, that person doesn't seem any nearer than they were when you started. The suggestion is this, we're praying outside of our faith. You see, if you've got a mustard seed side faith, then, then start there. Start with the faith that you have. Don't pray out of your unbelief. Pray out of your faith. Pray out of what you do believe. Don't pray out of what you don't believe. And so start with what you can believe. So, I, I could believe that a possibility or a set of circumstances would occur that I could begin to have a relationship with my neighbour. You know, actually, I could believe that a relationship with my neighbour is possible. I can't quite believe that by the end of the week they're going to give their lives to Jesus. But actually chatting to them is a possibility. That's within my grasp. That's within my faith. Pray. Pray for an opportunity just to get to know your neighbour. So you start praying. Day one. Lord, Lord, I really want to get to know my neighbour. Can you, can, and you believe that that could be... And then, the, on a Saturday, the neighbour rings the doorbell and says, excuse me, my lawnmower's broken down. Do you mind if I borrow yours? And you slam the door in his face and say, no, go away, heathen. Get your own lawnmower. <laughs> like a good Christian. And you go, God answered my prayer. What would that do to your faith? I tell you, that would take my faith from here up to here. It does take my faith from here up to here when God does that. Suddenly, I've prayed, and I've believed it, and it's happened. I've read that in the Bible. Now it's happening to me. How good would that be? How good would that be? So, you go, wow, what's next? I can extend my prayer reach just a little bit because my faith is higher. So I can now pray, Lord, would there be another opportunity for me to converse with my neighbor? And suddenly you think about a request that you have that normally you would have asked someone in the church to help you with. Well, what if I ask my neighbor? And the opportunity comes. And so, so that you can see how this works. Uh, and, and weeks go by, months go by, there's no quick fix in any of this. Uh, and then you get to this point, you think, well, I could actually invite my neighbour over for a meal, and rather than it be totally cringe factorish and, and really awkward because we don't really know each other, actually we might have a pleasant evening together, I'll take the risk. Roast beef, Yorkshire pudding, play it safe. <coughs> and you invite your neighbour over. And they say yes. And, and amazingly, they seem pleased to have been asked, where's your faith now? No, still down here. Right, okay. It'll take a bit more work then. 
And, and, and so, no six months go by, you, you pray, you, you have several meals, then you can pray for an opportunity, believing that it might now actually happen. Lord, give me an opportunity to have a spiritual conversation with my neighbor. And for the first time ever, you're praying that kind of prayer, believing that it might actually happen. And lo and behold, you're praying it, you're looking out for opportunities. Suddenly, in the midst of the conversation, your neighbor says, blah, 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 and you go, wow, there it is. Hand it to me on a plate. I don't have to shove him a tract. I don't have to force anything down him. I don't have to do all the God thing. I don't have to give him four ways to get to heaven before the end of the evening. I can just have a conversation about Jesus. And, and so we're 18 months in, and your faith has gone from down here somewhere up here, I hope, although you don't sound very convinced. But I'm hoping it's going up. And 18 months later, Julie gets up, or Linda gets up, and says, hey, passion for life's coming. Suddenly you go, ping. I could pray that if I invited my neighbor to that, he might actually come, and I can actually believe that he might, for the first time ever. And he loves jazz, so the jazz thing's the one, and away you go. And then there's something else, there's Easter coming, and, and we're doing something special at church. I, I could invite him, and that would be okay now, because of all that's happened. And I can trust God for that now, because I've seen, I've seen God at work, and I've seen my faith grow. And, and, and so, suddenly, 18 months later, your neighbor's in church. Or whatever. And one day, you're praying that your neighbor would make a decision for Christ. And do you know what? For the first time ever, you really believe that they might. Can you see, I've tried to go on that journey with things I've been praying for. Because otherwise, I'm praying up here and my faith is down here. And I'm praying out of my unbelief, not out of what I do believe. And Jesus said, faith as small as a mustard seed is a jolly good place to start. I'm going to start there because that's where my faith is. And I can watch it grow as I step out and heaven comes to earth. Whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you've received it and it will be yours. So I don't know where your faith is this morning. I don't know what the things are that you're praying for today. The longings of your hearts. But my suspicion, if you're like me, is that lots of your prayers are coming out of your lack of faith. Not out of what you really believe God will do. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. And as Jesus was at pains to show, without without faith, nothing much happens here. But we've all got the mustard seed. That's good, isn't it? We've all got the mustard seed. Let's pray, shall we? Father, would you fan into flame our faith? Would you help us, really help us, to nurture, to nourish the little faith that we have? Help us not to keep despising the little faith that we have. To talk it down, to talk negatively about it. Help us to fan it into flame. Help us not to pray the right prayer that we can't believe you for, but a lesser prayer that we can, that is therefore the right prayer. Highlight in my life where I'm praying for things that I don't actually believe you'll do. Because my faith's not that big yet. 
for family members that don't know you. For situations and circumstances in our lives that seem so big and overwhelming. Save us from praying out of our unbelief. So help me to keep my eyes fixed on you. That's what Peter did. I don't want to be like the 11 that stayed in the boat. I want to be like the one that fixed on Jesus, took a step out. Yeah, he failed. A few moments later, I'll fail a few moments later. But that's okay, I'm learning. I'm learning to trust you. I'm learning to believe your word. I'm learning. So I want to take one small step.